So third week in this little mini-series we're calling Everyday Vultures. We're going to put a bookend on this series. And next week, I want you to invite a friend. We'll be starting a, a conversation over the next seven weeks leading up to Easter about the last words of Jesus on the cross. Seven statements, famous last words, if you will, uh, that we're going to dive in. And what does that mean for every day? You know, I would say that uh, Jesus on the cross, one of the best days we could have ever experienced because he bought our freedom, but also one of the worst days in his life in the flesh. And so, like, what do you, what do, you do on the worst day of your life. Well, those seven statements, we're going to be talking about those over the next few weeks leading up to celebrating Easter. You know what? Guess what? You guys may not even know it yet. We're going to have a record-breaking Easter. More people are going to come to Christ this year than have ever come to Christ. We're going to see so many families be a part of Timber Creek. And guess what? It's going to be you being Jesus to them, inviting people, bringing people with you, making space, serving, joining dream teams, and just creating a space where people can find and follow Jesus. Get ready. Uh, you're going to be part of it. I can't wait to see what, what God does. This series, though, that we're finishing today, one of our anchor verses is found, uh, written by Solomon, wisest man, God said, whoever lived, uh, there in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, here's what it says. God does everything just right and on time. We've said in church circles before this statement that I say something and you repeat it. It goes like this. It says, God is good, and people say... See, some of you didn't know that, some of you did. Depends on kind of, you know, church culture that you grew up in. And then you say, all the time. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right. Good job, good job. And that, that really has to do with the front part of this scripture here in Ecclesiastes. But that comma makes a big difference. If it were just a period, then we could go home and eat lunch. But there's a comma and we get the rest of the story. And the scripture goes on, Solomon goes on to say, but... People can never completely understand what he's doing. He's, he's, he's right and on time, but it's hard for us to grasp it and to get it, and it takes an element of faith. In fact, faith is foundational to the Christ walk. It is foundational for you surrendering to Jesus. you got to have faith and, 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 and assurance in what you can't quite see, you can't quite pinpoint, you can't, you can't, just, you can't put your thumb under it. It's a little elusive, but there's a certainty that God is who he says he is, and he's going to come through, and he's true to his word. That more true to his word than you can be true to your worry, that God is faithful, and there's facets of faith that he journeys on this in this faith walk that he takes us through. And week one, week two, we talked about these pieces of the journey where God gives a dream for your life. He pulls you out from where you are and shows you where you can go. It happens with the Israelites in, in Egypt when they were for 400 years enslaved under the thumb of Pharaoh. And God sends a deliverer through Moses and he gives them a dream. We're going to go out from here. And they decide, the next piece is they decide on that dream. They say, okay, let's let's do this let's let's go they make the decision to follow God's dream and sure enough God's delivery of that dream comes true but there is this space right here that is like swimming through peanut butter this is the space that's the challenge of life it's not just hunky-dory the same way with Abram who gives an, given a promise that his uh, his his descendants are going to outnumber the dust on the earth the stars in the heaven and 24 years later 25 years later, finally that, that deliverance of that dream, but in the middle, there's all 
this process and discipline and, and challenge. In fact, we've got discord and distraction and difficulties, doubt and delay. We talked last week about doubt, how when you doubt your future, we, we don't call it doubting our future, we call it worry. But when you doubt God, we call that normal. That, that's not an unchristian thing. That's, that's a, when we doubt and we struggle, we say, God, are you really, th- that's a normal thing. And how do we overcome that? I invite you to listen to the podcast or download the, uh, there in iTunes, our Timber Creek Church app, so you can get the full scope of this series. But this whole idea of this process in between the giving of the dream and the fulfillment of that dream, that's all mayhem in the middle. And what we see in the, in, in the life of Abram is when he begins to, in the middle of this, he, he creates a sacrifice for the Lord and God makes a blood covenant with Abram. Makes a blood covenant. It's supposed to be both of them walk through this bloody mess of sacrifice and that both are gonna make this commitment. But God makes the covenant because we can't hold it on our own. He holds it all together. In fact, God will keep his covenant. That, that's his promise. God will keep his covenant with us. He'll keep his promises. But in that story, vultures come and try to steal that sacrifice. There will be vultures that try and steal your sacrifice, steal your joy, steal your pride, steal your dream. And our job is to trust in what God, only God can do. And when necessary, we got to chase away the everyday vultures. A vulture I want to talk to you about today is a vulture of devastation. In fact, we, uh, we've kind of talked about the different pieces of groups of vultures. Uh, you may not know this, maybe you do, but, but when a group of vultures lands on the carcass and gets ready to eat something that's dead, you know what they call that group? It's called a vigil. It's like they're having a prayer service. You know, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for his food. Amen. You get the eye, Harry. I'm going to get the back leg. And, and, and they, they're a vigil. That's what you call a group of vultures eating at the carcass, a vigil of vultures. When a group of vultures is uh, just together without eating and they're just formed together, it's called a committee. That's why you shouldn't trust committees. I'm telling you, like, for God to love the world, he did not send a committee. Like, a bunch of vultures out for their own, their own agenda. But when a group of vultures goes from a committee and, and they're not a vigil, they're not a committee, when they begin to swarm, when they begin to circle the carcass, maybe either waiting for it to die or waiting for it to be safe or whatever, that's when it starts being called a kettle. It's a kettle of vultures. And inside a kettle is the boiling point where things begin to heat up. And what I want to talk about is that kettle of tragedy, the kettle of something unexpected. When your world collapses, when the doctor's report comes back and you had faith, but now you are scared. When, when you thought you were going to make it through, but the marriage seems to now be over. How do you make it through that mayhem in the middle of a devastation or a tragedy in your life? Write some of these thoughts down there in Duncan and Dieball and right here in the Lufkin location. Take your worship guide and let's fill in some of these here. First is because the world is broken, catastrophes happen to all of us. It's not against the good or the bad. It's not the Christian and the unchristian. It's not the prayer warrior and the pagan. Catastrophe happens to everybody because we live in a broken world. 
And it's in that, then that brokenness. See, people say, well, if God was so good, why have bad things happened? Well, we're just so selfish. We're just so committed to self that when everything's going good, we think we, we're the ones that are in control of everything going good. When bad things happen, when catastrophes happen, they're perfect opportunity to realize we live in a broken world and we're broken people. And the Savior did not come to just make shiny things shiner, shinier. He came to fix broken people. And when we can realize we live in a broken world and catastrophe happens, it's a great opportunity to lean in to Jesus. Here's, the, here's another challenge, though, to those catastrophes. Some of the most influential events of your life you will never see coming. You, you see that, man, but once I get 16 and get that driver's license, I got a 15-year-old in the house. I mean, learning the driver's edge scared me to death. I've been speaking in tongues more than ever. <laughs> there's, there's something about... Uh, looking forward to that, or, or you, you, you're, you're getting engaged, and you're going to have the wedding, and then the marriage that follows, and you know, like you can see those things happening. Graduation students that's down the road, like you can see it, but some of the most influential events of your life you actually never see coming. It is that report. It is that change. It is that tragedy. It is that shift. It is that detour. It is that left turn that you didn't anticipate. And the scripture shows us that's, that's normal. In fact, Solomon also says people can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net or birds in a snare, people are often caught by sudden tragedy. And here's the truth about when you're in the middle of those catastrophes, when you're in, the, in that mayhem in the middle, you can't get around those things. You can't, you cannot, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23 doesn't go on and say, or if you choose to go around the valley, you can do that too. Like you're gonna have valleys to walk through and you can't get around them. You just have to go through them. And I can tell you there's a, there's a, there's a healthy way to go through them and there's a destructive way to go through them. And I want to help you with creating a healthy way to get through what you're going through based on not your strength, not your understanding, but his strength and his understanding. When you're going through a catastrophe, there's some different layers that happen. First is shock. Shocked at what happened. Then we move into sorrow, uh, the, the grieving, the emotional turmoil. You can move from that into struggle, struggling with what's next, struggling with God, struggling with one another. The, uh, that we just, there's pain that we just, it's hard to deal with. And different families, how they were raised and what they did when, when there was a conflict, we sweep it under the rug. Or when there's a conflict, we have a family meeting in the living room. Depending upon how people began to kind of live life, there was some generosity generational hand-me-downs, some, some, some ways that we kind of begin to fit how we operate towards tragedy in life. And God wants, to, God wants to give us something that's not a hand-me-down. He wants to clothe us in what's necessary to go through the shock and the sorrow and the struggle. But we see it through major players in the Bible. The book of Jeremiah, written by Jeremiah the prophet, he says in Jeremiah 5, a horrible and shocking thing has happened. Their closeness or proximity to God did not insulate them completely from something shocking taking place. Ezekiel, I sat for seven days shocked at what had happened to me. Have you ever known anybody or maybe you yourself, you've gone through a tragedy or a catastrophe and it's like you, can't even, you don't even know the words to say. You're quiet. It's not you. You feel numb, like Ezekiel can relate in that moment. The Lord gives us the word of God to show us that real people have real struggles and that he is a God 
that wants to get close to you. He wants to get close to you and be with you through moments of intensity. King David himself, man after God's own heart. I'm in total darkness like someone long dead. My heart is heavy. I feel numb all over. Isaiah, who gave us many messianic prophecies about the future of what the Messiah would look like. Isaiah says in 21, I'm in terrible pain. I'm shocked. It hurts so much. I can't hear or see. My head spins early evening. My favorite time has become a nightmare like things you used to love. Things that would fill your tank, now it's like there's just, the thrill is, is, is gone. And so right now, right now, we're all in a category. We're all, we're all in this somewhere. And you might be here, and, and right now you fit in this first category. You know someone going through a crisis. Our neighbors that live right across the street, friends of ours, been part of this church for many years, Jeremy and Billie Jean, our neighbors and our friends and our co-laborers in Christ here, going through a, tra- going through a catastrophe on, on, the, on earth with major crazy stage four cancer. Such a surprise, such a shock. Did not see it coming. Maybe you know someone going through a crisis. Maybe you are in the second group. You're personally in a crisis. It it could be a financial, relational, marital, physical, emotional. You're in the thick of it, and you're here, and I'm so glad you're here. God God wants to speak to you and comfort you today. Maybe you're here, and you are headed into a crisis that you aren't prepared for. You may not know if you're here in this category or not because it may come as a surprise. Or maybe you're here and you created your own crisis in order to get a salary increase on the show Empire. (laughs) Oh, boy. What's he talking about? Watch the news. Moving on. Regardless of whatever category you're in, I want to address these three with the time we have. Sound good? I want you to walk away with not only just some handlebars and practical things, but I want you to walk away with an assurance of faith that God's got this. That you can lean, lean not on your own understanding, but you can truly surrender to him, submit to him, yield to him. And he's going to make that path straight even though the circumstances look crazy. So let's start with number one. How do I help a friend in shock? Well, what, are, what are some easy ways to help someone who's going through that valley, that, that shocking peace? The scripture is clear in Galatians. Paul says, by helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. In other words, being a part of someone else's life is indicative to the Christian life. It is is part of truly knowing Jesus, being a part of someone else's life. You, You cannot really understand the full scope of Christ by yourself on an island alone. You need to understand the context of the one another's in Scripture, the helping one another, the encouraging one another, the carrying one another's burdens, the the forgiving one another, the walking with one another, all these 300 plus one another's all throughout Scripture that we need. It is part of fulfilling the law. Part of fulfilling like being a Christian is to be there when people are going through troubles. So one easy way to be there is I should have put, make sure you put the prayer emoji on your Facebook every day. Like, like that's, that's the easy way. But no, show up. Show up. 
Now, it's a beautiful thing, this whole thing we have, social media. It's a beautiful thing, text messages. It's awesome. It's easy to communicate. But it also can violate your responsibility as a Christ follower to really show up. I'm all in favor. You will see me put hashtag praying. You will see me throw the emoji of the hands. That's actually not, that's not two hands praying. That's two hands high-fiving. But that's okay. That's okay. Those two hands, that's not prayer emoji. That's a high-five emoji. Just, I'm sorry to rattle some of you. But it don't care what it means. It's what I mean. Bless God. Okay, that's good. High-five Jesus. But what I'm scared of is that we're, because of the, we place things on the altar of convenience. And showing up is not always convenient, is it? Being there for somebody is not as easy as one, two, emoji. We see it in Job, one of the oldest stories in the Bible. Job has everything, he loses everything. And... When Job's three friends heard about all this, they heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. There's just something about the ministry of presence. You don't even have the word, you don't even have to have words, I'm telling you. Just showing up. And you know what? In the middle of a crisis, which we'll talk about if you're in the middle of a crisis, just showing up, just like saying, I don't feel like worshiping today. But you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm gonna take my Sunday and I'm gonna show up and be around people. Like that's critical, just show up. You know what else? Share their pain. As much as it depends on you, as much as you possibly can, it's hard to really know what people are going through, but the best you can, simply share the pain. The scripture goes on to say with Job's friends, they saw him from a distance, they could tell from a di- They did not have to be close to see what had happened to Job. They could tell a long ways away. They began to weep aloud. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And the next scripture is very interesting. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. We love to talk we love to fill the air with, man, I know what you're, I, I know how you feel. I had this happen. I know, or man, I'm just like blah, 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 blah. And sometimes what's very appropriate is simply sitting and crying with people with no words. In fact, the greater the grief, the fewer the words we need. We need less words and we need more show up when grief is great. Show up, share the pain. You know what else we need to do? If you know someone in shock, you gotta take the initiative. Don't expect them. Well, I figured, I figured they wanted their space. I figured that if they really needed anything, they would say something. Nine times out of 10, that is not going to happen. Usually it's more like, I don't wanna bother anybody else with what I'm going through. But book of Proverbs, the author says, Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Like take the initiative. So let me give you a couple things that you can say that are okay and then some things that are, that are better. That they take a deeper layer of connectivity. They take a, a, a deeper layer of you taking the initiative. So all of us can say this. In fact, I would venture to say 
100% of us have said, call me if you need anything. And, that, and I want to say that's not, that's not bad. It's, it's just not the, it's not the best. It's okay, but th- there's a better response. Um, here's a little bit better response, but, it, but, but, but even then, it's, it has its challenges. You can go from call me if you need anything to how can I help? How can I help? But many times when you say that, you just need to understand that probably in their mind, they're thinking, you can't help. You can't, what, I'm just going to take this out and give it to you. Like, you can't, like, you don't understand really what I'm going to. You just, there is no way you can help me. So taking the initiative in a very simplistic way are things like this. Hey, I'd like to bring dinner over. Would tomorrow work? Hey, sometime let, let us bring you dinner just whenever you're available. Just let me know. Call me when you want to, like, bring to dinner tomorrow. Tomorrow doesn't work, okay? How about Thursday? How about Friday? Okay, dinner, maybe it's not dinner. I'm bringing you over a gift certificate to a restaurant. You use it whenever you want to use it. I just want you to know we're here. Just want you to know we're here. Another one, I'm going to the store. What can I bring you? What can I bring you? If you know they like a certain thing or do a certain thing or they need a certain, like, get it. Bring it to them. Hey, I'm not here to stay. I just want to leave this, let you know, you are on my mind. You're on my mind. Love you. Something I say, I, I, even at 39, I've, I've done a lot of funerals already. And, and it's a privilege. It really is. It's an honor to stand in the intersection of major events in people's lives, from babies being born to uh, couples losing babies. To marriages, I do, I do, to the marriage is over. Like, as a pastor, you stand in the intersections of major events in people's lives. And I've, st- I've stood at, the, at the, the head of many caskets. And in the funeral, I, I like to try and remember to say things like, I know there's going to be a lot of hugging and a lot of saying, if you need anything, call. But I'm asking you to get your phone out right now and put 30 days from now make a phone call and offer to go to dinner with this person or like 30 days from now, like because it's big on the funeral, but then all of a sudden people go on to everyday life, don't they? Like, I mean, they just, they just move on. And we, we want to be there giving that ministry of presence consistently. So just show up, take the initiative, really think about right now. Is there anybody going through something that I could simply show up in a more tangible way this week? And don't let Sunday come until you've been verbal with that and just been present. Sound good? Let's go to the second one. How do I survive a catastrophe? Is there a way to prepare for emotional disaster? Yeah. How, how, do, you survive, how do you survive one? If you're in the middle of a crisis, I want to encourage you this. Cry out to God. And notice the word is cry. It's not just talk it out with God. Cry out to God. Let, let the reservoir be torn down where you would just be vulnerable and honest and open with God about your hurt and your pain and your loss and your questions and your frustration. and your, How could this have happened, God? And cry out to him. Many people tend to, it just this conversation happened over in our kids' center with one of our pastors just a, a few months ago. 
where a young couple comes in and one of our pastors said, I haven't seen you in a while. Great to see you again. And they said, we've been going through a really hard time. And so we just kind of got out of church. The time to, to step away from God is never. The time to cry out to God is any time. But especially when you're going through the fire, cry out to God. Psalmist David says, call to me in your day of trouble and I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. David is saying this prophetically, that God is saying this to us. Call to me in your day of trouble. I'll rescue you, and you will honor me. Do you know that when you cry out to God, it honors him? Your dependence on God honors God. Your, 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 your reliance on him, I don't have what it takes, honors the God of the cosmos. Lamentation says it this way, get up, cry out in the night, cry all through the night, pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. Lift up your hands in prayer to him. Make sure that you are emptying yourself, not just, just with a friend, but with the greatest friend who sticks closer than any friend. Pour out your heart to Jesus. Cry out to God. Ask him tough questions. He can handle the questions I mentioned it last week, the disciples in the boat waiting, waiting. They're in a major storm. The storms are tossed. And, 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 and Jesus has got his, my pillow he bought on the news thing. And he's, he's, just, he's just sleeping with my pillow in the back of the boat. And one of the disciples says, don't you care? Don't you care? You know, in the book of Revelation, there's this moment that hasn't happened yet, but there's this moment where... And it's so mysterious. We don't, we don't know all that there is to know until we're face to face with him. But there's this moment where martyrs, men and women of God that were murdered for God because they loved God. They say, they say to God, when will our blood be avenged? That happens in heaven. Do you know what that says to me? There's like questions in heaven. Like your questions aren't going to be all answered this side of eternity. You, you, there's going to be some questions you have. And even the martyrs say, God, when, when, when's this going to happen? Cry out to God your questions. Cry out to God your needs. And you know what else you got to do? The same way that I'm telling those that are helping someone go through a struggle, you've got to let others help. You've got to let them help. You, you can't put up the wall. It's natural. It's normal. I, I hate to admit this, but a few years ago I was in Brook Hollow and I ran over a wiener dog. All the dog lovers. It's not like I moved to the other side to hit him. He ran out in front of me. Now, if it was a cat, I would have swerved and got him. 200 points for those. I'm kidding. It's it it terrible. <laughs> Sorry. I love cats. What was I saying? Brooke Hollow ran over a wiener dog dog got stuck underneath the car. I know it's terrible. I know. I'm sorry. This is an adult service. That's why we have KidWorks, okay? Um, so the dog is still alive. And you, you like, the, the, the wiener dog is making some noise. And so I have to get out. <laughs> all right, okay. You got, this is the most emotional. I've been talking about catastrophe all, all service long. And this is the most emotional you've gotten. So I'm underneath, I'm underneath our little SUV saying, come here, buddy. 
Come here. He said, I'm having to grab it by, I'm grabbing it by the, by the leg and trying to pull it, biting on my, my hand. You know why? Didn't want my help. I ran over. <laughs> you know, I was like, what are you going to do now? Are you going to drown me? <laughs> you know. When we're hurt, when we're hurt, we, we put up walls. Ooh, I got hurt. I didn't have a wall. Now I'm going to put up one. You've got to let other people help you. But it's hard, this vulnerability thing. It's hard, this transparency thing. So many families going through hell on earth, and they won't talk about it for fear of what people might think, fear of what people might say, fear of how people might look at them. I want you to know we all are broken in some way. That's why we need Jesus to put the pieces back together. And there was a moment in first service that we're going to do again in this moment. I don't need Pastor Cody to come out and play the piano. But, but part of letting others help is simply admitting I'm hurting. And this may be a bold move for some of you at Dieball and some of you in Duncan and some of you at Lufkin. But, but if you're here listening today, and you or an incredibly close loved one is going through a very hard time. I want to ask you to right where you are, just stand up and be vulnerable. And I want to pray with you right now. I'm hurting. I have a loved one that's hurting. I don't want to do this alone. I need Jesus to help me. Right there in Duncan and Dieball, if you guys, I know it takes guts. If you don't stand up, it's okay. You don't, you don't have to. God sees you right where you are. Let me pray for you. Lord, this is just a, a signal to you. Would you help? Would you speak? Would you give hope? Would you fix? Would you do what only you can do? And Lord, for those of us that may not even know why a friend of ours would be standing across this auditorium or across the rooms where we are, may we help by carrying one another's burdens and obeying you because we love one another. Lord, I pray that by the time we even sit down, that there would be a supernatural peace, clarity, hope, strength to endure, healing in Jesus. You can be seated. Thank you for your vulnerability this morning. Let me wrap up today by talking about this third piece. Not just how do I help someone in shock, what do I do to, when I'm going through shock, but then what, how, do I, how do I insulate? How do I, how do I create some preemptive shock absorption in my life? How, how can I improve my resistance 
to these shocking moments that we never see coming. Well, I can tell you this, you've got to cultivate strong relationships. You, you've, got, you, you've got to cultivate the strong relationships. You, 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 need, you, you need people in your life that, that when you say, this is me, they say, oh, me too. You did that. You, 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 you let, I, I went through that. I, I know, I, I, you know what, man, we're seeing eye to eye on this. That's your favorite? That's my favorite thing. You like that hobby? I like that hobby. You went through four divorces? I went through four divorces. You, like, you need that. You need to cultivate some strong relationships. Let's go back, let's go back to Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4. Two can accomplish more than twice as much as one. You know, a draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. Four tons. Draft, a big old draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. You know how much two draft horses can pull? 24,000 pounds. It moves from 8 to 24,000. They can, uh, one horse combined with two, there's just something about that, not just hyperbole, strength in numbers. Well, those two draft horses can carry more than twice the amount of weight than one could by themselves. If one falls down, the other can pull him up. But if a man falls when he's alone, he is in trouble. It's like the trapeze artist at the, at the circus. Like those guys are mesmerizing, Cirque de Sol, whatever. And they can just fly and do the triple flip, lemon twist, whatever. But you know what gives them a little bit additional confidence? Is having that net you can fall into. Like, I'll try it. I'll try it if I got a net, you know. I may kill myself even on the net, but at least there's a safe. Do you know when you should put the safety net up? Like, not after you start swinging. <laughs> In fact, write it down. The best time to create a safety net is before you need one. And many times we think like, well, we need church and we need group and we need prayer and we need a, a group of people close to us so that when I go through a tragedy, like, you, you, you need support now. While everything seems good, I don't need anybody. But then when something happens and you haven't formed deep relationship with other people that will cultivate that strong and be there with you, walking with you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be harder. For those that have cultivated strong relationships and built that safety net before they needed it, there's just something oh, reassuring to know. You've got people in your corner when something goes wrong. But you know what else? You not only cultivate strong relationships, but you, you grow spiritual roots. Not just family roots. You grow spiritual roots. Colossians, the apostle Paul says, just as you trusted Christ to save you. So if you believe that God saved you and forgave you and gave you a fresh start, then you need to also trust him too. Not just with your salvation, but with each day's problems. Each day's what? Problems. Each day's issues and junk. If you're going to trust him for salvation, you got to trust him for the junk that you're going to go through. Live in vital union with him. Look at, the, look at the words in this next part of this passage. Let your roots grow down into him and draw 
up. It's not about biting your bottom lip. It's not about picking yourself up by the bootstraps. It's about having enough spiritual roots that grow down deep enough that when the, the time that you need that nourishment is every day. But in particular, when you are facing the storms of life, that those roots have grown down deep into more than just soil, but into our Savior and who he is and who he's calling you to be. And, and then from that, you can keep on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in your ministry. No, no, that's not what it says. Strong and vigorous in the day-to-day stuff. No, 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 no. That you can be strong and vigorous in the truth. Meaning that no matter the circumstance, you're strong in the truth of who God is, what he says about your circumstance, what he says about you, what he says about himself. But, but what I want you to be careful here, because some people will forsake one for the other. They get into a church like this and they make good friends and they come on Sundays and they feel good about, you, you come in here and you're meant to leave with a little joy. I mean, you're meant to leave lifted. There's something about being around God's people. There's something about hearing the word of God. There's something about worship. That even if you haven't bowed a knee to Christ, there's something about being in that environment that if you're not careful, you feel good on Sunday, but you don't allow the roots to grow deep. Maybe even you develop relationships and friendships. You and your two buddies come to church. But the word of God is not affecting the way you should live. You're just getting a a feel a little bit better about the next week, Sunday. And you know what? I want you to know. Listen to me carefully. If that's why you're here, it's okay. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're there in Duncan Dabble. You may be coming at Duncan just because, well, it's, two, it's Wednesday night. Got nothing better to do. And you're just, you're just sitting in. I'm glad you're here. Because there's something about being in this environment that at some point you're going to have to come face to face with what you're going to do with God and what God wants to do with you. But, 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 but be careful not to exchange attending a church service with cultivating relationships and growing spiritual roots. In fact, it's not in your notes, but you might want to write it down. Strong relationships and spiritual roots are intertwined. They're intertwined. We need one another. The person that says, it's just me and God and my Bible, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to read the Word, and everything's going to be fine. I don't need anybody else. That's not, that's not accurate according to the Word. Like even the Father is in this community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were designed to not be alone. Consider the red oak. Consider the redwood, the redwood tree. Do you know that the redwood tree in Northern California, the coastal redwoods are the tallest growing trees on the planet. They're not the largest trees. Sequoias are the largest, but the tallest growing trees on the planet are the coastal redwoods in Northern California. If they're in a healthy environment, they can grow up to 400 feet tall. Whoa, that's tall. That's big. It's about 20 times the size of our ceiling in here. Look, look at this picture. The, the, the roots here are not that deep. 
It doesn't, it doesn't drill itself down deep, 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 deep. In fact, one of the challenges of the redwood, as tall as it can grow, its root system is actually quite shallow. But there is a beautiful piece of God's goodness in this nature. In the way God designed and, and carved out the world, he shows us a picture. Nature cries out that there is a God. But the way these trees survive the heavy winds is not because they just have deep roots, but they actually spread out and their roots intertwine with other trees. So that when one of the trees is being blown by the winds, other trees keep that tree from falling. If trees know the importance of being in a tribe, being in community, being together, how much more should we know? And you were never meant to survive wind of life solo. The old Chinese proverb is great. I love this Chinese proverb. Look at it. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Yeah, thanks, Einstein. Of course it was. But the second best time is now. And so maybe the strengthening relationships you feel like not quite there. The spiritual roots. I don't have what I wish I had. The best time to start right this morning. My last thought, we'll pray, we'll receive the offering, we'll let you go with a blessing. But this last thought comes from um, the first time I, I, I put these thoughts together was last year for a, a memory service, a memorial service for a young teenage kid named Slayton who was tragically killed in a car accident, whose family, some family attended and attends our church terrible tragedy terrible catastrophe that nobody saw coming what was interesting that on Slayton's phone on the cover of the phone it was John 16 uh, um, in this world you will have troubles but take heart I've overcome the world boy his, his mama needed to read that the day she said goodbye and this family, one of the tradition things that they had as a family was aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews, cousins, moms and dads, they, they would say this thing together after lunch or after a phone call or dropping kids off to school. They would say, hey, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And that's my third point is remember who you are. But, 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 but understand something. The way the family said it, it was stand strong, stand confident, know who you are. Don't be intimidated by, like, you, you be solid. Don't, don't let the negative words of other people dictate who you're going to be. Like, there was a beautiful thing in that. Remember who you are. But as Christ followers, I want to I remind you, remember who you are. For someone who, who maybe needs to step over the line of faith today, remember who you are. And, and here's some thoughts. You're someone who doesn't have it all together. Stop trying to act like it because none of us have it all together. Remember who you are. You can't, you can't fix your own sin. You can't fix emptiness in your heart. You need Jesus to help you with that. You know what else you need to remember? You remember that you're someone who will never be perfect. 
No matter what you do, no matter how much grow track and starting point and serve and giving and, and reading your Bible, you'll never be perfect. But there is one who is. Lean into his perfection. And you know what? You're someone deeply loved by God. Deeply loved. You're not alone. And so we look at this process of shock and sorrow and struggle. Do you know that someday God can take what you thought was going to kill you, what you thought was going to be your last, what you thought you'd never be able to get out of, and he's going to give you this whole service, opportunity to serve others that, that are now going through what you went through. But again, it's a little bit of mayhem in the middle. And it would be cool and be easier if we filled that with shock, sorrow, struggle, service, but what you really need is determination. Or if we filled that with uh, confidence, or we filled that box with the only way to get from this into serving others is to, you know, have courage and next steps and bite your bottom lip. But I want to tell you, the best way for God to use this moment is not for you to do anything but surrender. You let go. And surrender has this negative, oh, I give up, I give up, I give up. It's, it's just like, oh, here, here. When my daughter was just an infant and she was choking on a little metal beret, my wife begins to scream from the other room. I don't know what's going on. I, I run in. She just, she just threw sage across to me. It felt like it was 20 feet. It was probably six inches. Grabbed that little baby and we got that beret out. But there was this, there, there was just this, for Janet, it was just this surrender moment. And that's what we're doing in our circumstances. Jesus, I surrender. I trust, I lean. Would you pray with me this morning? All locations, close your eyes, bow your heads. If you're here and you're saying, I need to surrender to what only God can do in the middle or through something, if that's you, just put a hand up in the air. I need to surrender today. I surrender. Maybe for you, it's surrendering to his, to his power. For some of you, it's surrendering to his will. And you need to invite Jesus now to be the Lord of your life. To step off the throne of your own heart and allow him to be the king and the center. And to start following him. For some of you, it's surrendering that grudge. It's surrendering that, that hold on that situation. And you've got to forgive because your bitterness is stalling you. And you've got to be propelled with forgiveness today. Jesus, we surrender to you. We surrender to you, Lord. Do what only you can do in my life, in their life. As we lean not on us, but on you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen.